Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Fitter and Faster Coaches Corner. As always, I'm your host, Mike Murray. Today, I am joined by a special guest, a 2023 Age Group Coach of the Year finalist, joining us this morning from California, Coach Reed Miller. How are you today, Reed? Doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Now, Reed, you are part of a team and an organization that has come so far in the last eight years led by two tremendous coaches. Actually, they were a pair on the second episode ever of Coach's Corner back during the pandemic, Brian Nabetta and Billy Dowdy from Dart. How important has Brian and Billy's role been in your life as a young coach? Give us a little bit of background on your swimming career. I know you have long ties with Billy. Uh, so talk about what it means to be part of that Dart program and uh, how important those two have been in your life as a coach. Well, Billy, I, I work out of the Davis site, and Brian has always kind of run that Arden Hills for a while, and then start Sacramento. Um, so I've been less involved with Brian, but he still had an impact. Uh, definitely gone to him for some advice over the years. But Billy has been, I'll, I'll call him one of my coaching mentors, and he was my coach for about a year, actually. I, I didn't start swimming until I was 16, and he saw me at some random dual meet. It was a high school meet. Uh, out of their facility that they trained at down at a uh, city mobile swim association because i'm from mobile alabama and um he was like hey you know you're you're not great at this but if you wanted to swim in college like it could be something you might have a shot at we're not looking at like top d1 schools but if it's something you're interested in let me know and i was you know at this point it's it had shifted into my senior year and i uh graduated mid-year and I decided, I was like, I've got some time on my hands. I'll jump into this swimming thing, not having any idea what I was getting into. And uh, so I was, you know, doing doubles all of a sudden after training for maybe an hour and 15, an hour and a half uh, during my high school season. And then the, there was a relay slot open for juniors. So they took me to juniors within the first three months of swimming year round. Uh, and I was by far like the, the worst guy. I'm not I'm not saying I had make, made leaps and bounds yet, but uh that was my initial connection to Billy. He actually took this job uh, at, at Davis back in 2009 at the same time that I was about to uh, start college. Uh, I went off and swam at Wingate University in North Carolina um, and for four years and then went back home and was coaching um, while I was, I was actually looking for some, some banking gigs at the time. I wasn't sure that I was going to stick with coaching. Um, so I... Uh, in the meantime, I was coaching and was working with Greg Davis and Tyler Kearns down there. And uh, Tyler's still still working down there and running the show. And, uh, you know, Billy found out I was coaching and kind of coached me, so to speak, from his brother-in-law at the time, or his brother-in-law, Greg. So uh, it, everything kind of came full circle, moved out here in 2015, and it's been eight great years since. And been taking Billy's brain on a weekly, monthly basis. Funny enough, we're not on the same deck most of the time just because we have our pool situation so interesting here. We have five different facilities that we use. So a lot of the time our, our age group program is spread out in different places, our senior programs elsewhere. So a lot of our conversations are, you know, off the deck. So for sure. I forgot that you had uh you had Greg in your coaching pedigree as well. I mean, you you have been really fortunate to be around some great coaches. Yeah, my so it's funny you say that. One of my other coaching mentors uh, is Trent Richardson, who was also out here at Dart. I don't know if you've met Trent, but he was out at Loveland 
as the head coach for the past few years. And he just took the assistant role out at uh, Cleveland State. And Trent said to me after he, he spent a couple of years coaching in the Bay Area, he was doing some like the rec team, the summer league coaching, which I don't know how much you've been around that, but it's a very intense gig and uh, very demanding for that matter, time-wise and otherwise dealing with some parents and whatnot. So Trent told me at a certain point, we were about a year or two in and he goes, he looked at me, he's like, man, your job is not my first coaching job. And I was, at first I was like, I don't really know what you mean. And then over the years, I think I've started to realize because I've seen some other people that have had some less fortunate circumstances and haven't had the luxury of being around some of the really good coaches that I've been able to work under and, and to communicate with on a regular basis. Yeah. And really fortunate, Reed, and, and it certainly has played a, a big role in the development uh, of your coaching philosophy and your coaching style, which has led to some great success, especially in the age group ranks. We look at DART the last few years, there have been some absolute studs coming out of that program and some of the athletes that you coach correctly, uh, directly. So congratulations to you on being a top 10 finalist this year. I'm rooting for you. Talk about your coaching philosophy with your age groupers. What are some of the tenets of your program? Uh, well, actually, at that same place that you and I met, so we met in 2017 at, at select camp or yeah, national select camp. And <clears throat> there was a talk by Glenn Mills, Olympian and runs Go Swim now. Uh, and he, I remember something very specific he said. He, he said he traveled around the country and met with all these different teams. And he said the best teams, for one, asked him a lot of questions, whereas uh, like what he had seen, et cetera, et cetera. He said some of the worst teams just wanted to talk about what they did, which I think, you know, we've experienced that a lot as coaches. But one of the things that he said that stood out, and I think I'm just, I try to be super cognizant of, he said that teams that, so the majority of teams were training and teaching their athletes about two years ahead of where they probably should be. And I think it's because it's where we want them to be, right? But we can't, we can't really teach them based on where we want them to be. Like that's the end goal, but you can't just jump right into it. So it's almost like thinking about how do we chunk this up into the simplest version possible? And then from there, you know, understanding that we're on the timeline of the kids, not our own timeline a lot of the time. And I think especially at the beginning of the season, we try to ramp things up potentially too early. And actually, I think we see that on the senior end as much as we see it on the age group side, right? We want them to be somewhere. So we kind of push them into that role and some survive and some don't, right? But it's almost like what part of the group are we really trying to train? Do we want most of them to be successful or we just want the top to be successful? So kind of that two-year thought, like is, is what I'm doing, does it look so bad to the point where they're just not there yet? Are they two years out? Are they a year out? Is this where they're meant to be? And just kind of perpetually reevaluating what that looks like on a weekly, monthly basis. Sure. And Reed, how are you communicating that plan or that goal to your parents and to your athletes? Um, with the parents, our, our, I, so I've got our 13 and 14s primarily at this point, not to say that there are some younger kids in the group too. Uh, we have a little bit more of, of coach's discretion on that. So we do have some younger kids in the group. It's not strictly age-based, but our younger age group coaches have, they have a lot of parent meetings leading up. Uh, by the time they get here, we're trying to push more of the communication on onto the kids. So that goal setting kind of pushes back on the kids. 
And then the idea is over communicating with the parents, especially when they're young, but even, even in my group, it's mostly email communication and then in-person communication when, whenever they want to swing by practices at the end. But uh, I find that most issues happen just not even from a lack of information. They have the information, but sending it out once usually isn't enough and kind of communicating them, just, just kind of hammering home those main tenants, like you said earlier, and some of those tenants are, when do you need to be able to take over communication? At what point are you owning certain types of goals? And from there, it's just saying it over and over and over and not being afraid to say it too many times. When you get some communication from parents that, you know, might be concerned about the development of their athlete, how do you respond to those inquiries? Well, uh, this, this may not hit home for everyone, but I like the idea of, and this is another thing I kind of talked to Trent about a lot because he had a, he had a role, I think with, I don't know if he worked at an Apple store or something along those lines, but he said the, he thinks of it as uh, the, the swimmers are our members and the parents are our customers essentially. So it's almost like a customer service role where, you know, the kids, we want to make sure that they're improving and the parents, we want to make sure that they understand what's happening and that we are understanding of their concerns, uh, you know, never be dismissive, right? It's a parent and you kind of want to operate under the assumption that they want what's best for their kid the same way that we do. So if there's a disconnect, it's usually because of a lack of that over-communication model. So it's just, you know, acknowledge whatever their concern is, um, have a plan to address it, right? Never ignore the issue, even if it's not something that you see as a primary issue. And then uh, always circle back to make sure that you're covering your bases at the end. Kind of touch back and be like, hey, it's been a couple of weeks, couple of months, is everything good? But I think it's almost in club, almost more important to keep the parents happy to make sure things are going smoothly in the other 22 hours that we don't have them on the pool deck with us, right? So. And how do you make sure that your philosophy in the age group program, those 13, 14 athletes, is mirroring or supporting what the next level up in the team is doing? Yeah, that's always kind of the, <clears throat> I think that's the toughest thing for sure, because it's always, when we talk about this all the time, it's, the, it's a big jump from group to group. Uh, and each jump gets a little bigger. And I think the biggest jump is moving from the group that I'm coaching and then up to Billy and Brian. Uh, and it's just because that group expectation, you're, you're making more practices per week. Your, your goal times are getting bigger. Your, your expectation as to your leadership role and your ability to follow, all, all those things are going up, right? And that's, I think, the biggest jump. And at the same time, they're also going into high school if they're not already in high school. So the, the class demands are more, uh, they want to have the social life. So it's, it's, it's a lot to juggle. And a lot of the times it's, it's understanding that, you know, they're going to struggle for a bit in the sense of regardless of what you're doing. So kind of circling back to not pushing the timeline. I think that's where it gets really difficult is not pushing the timeline, but conveying to them that at a certain point, they've got to be the ones with the sense of urgency about how quickly they're figuring things out. Because ultimately, I can have the biggest sense of urgency, but it doesn't matter if they're not on the same page as me. So uh, communicating with, with Billy and Brian about what their expectations are and how they're shifting from season to season and making sure I'm just conveying that, that message back down. And it also helps that I get to be on deck with the, the older kids sometimes, too, just to kind of see what those workouts look like and essentially become a storyteller at my workouts and tell them what it's like. 
you know, and give them that, paint that picture for them so they know exactly what they're getting into and make sure that, frankly, that they want to get into that because there are some kids that think status wise, right? They're like, I want to be there because I want that status of being in the upper end, the top end groups. But as soon as they start to see that picture, they hear that, that, or they see that painting that we're talking about at practice every day. And they're like, well, I'm kind of more focused on X, Y, or Z. And that's fine, right? There's nothing wrong with that. And they, they have the ability to continue to swim in my group. And there have even been some kids over the years that have moved up and then decided they didn't want to put that much time into that next level. And they actually came back down. And it doesn't mean that they can't go faster. Both of those, the, the two kids that have done that have continued to go best times and things like that. But it's just a different priority on their list. So. No doubt about it. And one thing that's kind of, uh, risen to the top in your program is that your age group athletes seem to have a really high propensity for swimming fast IM, whether it's a 200 IM, 400 IM. Talk about how important your training IM is for you and, and how you incorporate that into your workouts. Yeah, I think there was a, a point in time when I was coaching the 11-12s more. Um, and I think, I mean, the goal was to swim some IM every day, right? You always, we touched on the stroke every day, even if we weren't doing any type of intensity with it or anything like that. You have your learn to train sessions, and then you have your, you know, kind of your teaching sessions and breaking that down almost in a, in a weekly style where we would have, let's say, three to four learn to train sessions a week with that age group. And I would say if we were doing three or four of those, two to three would be IM in some capacity, just because I mean, I'm not trying to hammer the shoulders. I'm not a volume guy either. So there was some, there is some decent speed work that's always built in. And I, and part of that too, for me is more about making sure that they see that early success, because I think that that drives them to want to see that next level, right? You just, that, that first taste of success is so important just for developing motivation for long-term and I think that's kind of where that stems from. And the idea of being able to swim a different stroke after swimming another stroke and even relating one stroke to the next. So it actually works really well from a teaching perspective too, because um, we talk about how one stroke is similar to another stroke and then they can kind of make those connections and then you work your way down the list. I think it just kind of naturally flows uh, with that model for me at least. And how do the parents uh, feel about the training are they are they asking you questions are they interested in what you're doing how do you communicate some of those things a good question i would say that some are really interested some i never talk to <laughs> some don't know very much about swimming and they want to keep it that way and that's fine right and i think a lot of the kids respect that and appreciate it Sure. Uh, that was my that was my personal experience and something my parents knew nothing and I think that's part of the reason I gravitated toward the sport because uh, I did play some other sports growing up but the parents that are asking questions it's it's kind of refreshing because it gives me a chance to think through some of my own thoughts on like how the, the weekly plan is laid out how the training blocks are laid out and kind of what we're focusing on but trying to think of what some of the, the good questions are Usually the parents, there's a big master's contingent here. So usually the parents that ask those questions are swimmers themselves to some, so some degree. So they're curious in that way. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, you guys this year in, in 2023, Dart was number one in the top 100 age group teams in the country. And you've had several athletes that, that help you achieve high scores like that. One of the things that I've always noticed and appreciated about Dart is how good the kids are underwater. So talk about what you do to, to kind of uh, develop some of that early underwater speed that eventually uh, those athletes populate Brian and, and Billy's groups. But what are you doing as, as those kids at 11, 12, 13, 14 are starting to become really good underwater? Well, first of all, thank you, because that's definitely something that we've talked about a lot. And I think I think a lot of teams talk about it, but it's it's definitely something that we work on a lot, I should say, from from the beginning up. And we actually had a, an age group meeting yesterday kind of across sites and we started talking. I asked the question toward the end of the meeting. I was like, so what's everybody kind of focused on to start the season? And uh, the two big ones were streamlines and underwaters and this was regardless of the age group pretty much everybody said something similar and as far as underwaters how we're working on them you know there's a lot of in the beginning I think there's there's a lot of focus on just doing them right it's like this is the idea just do some right, right. and it sounds very simple but I think we especially with those with the younger kids we just kind of when I say younger I'm talking you know eight nine ten uh we, we talk a lot more about streamlines. We talk a lot about what we're doing on the surface with our freestyle. We talk about you know, maybe even a lot of stroke work, but the idea of spending time strictly on underwaters and a good portion of time, like a full set of doing underwaters, whether that's, especially younger kids, I would say even half laps, great or quarter laps. Like it doesn't really matter how you chunk it up, make it the right. simplest version to start, build from there. As far as the, the technical components at first, maybe we at least, I, I'll speak to how I teach it. And so one thing from, I, I was listening to, I think it was one of the Brett Hawk podcasts with, with, old, uh, with Braden, uh, Braden Hallway. And he was talking about how they did this thing to start their season where they're going six kicks underwater to get all the way across. And I was like, well, I can't do, we can't do six kicks, but how do we scale that back? And then, you know, also the hypoxic components of just getting the kids to be willing to hold their breath for longer, so limiting a breath count, limiting a kick count. I think we started with like 15 to get all the way across. And then we kind of worked our way down to 12. Uh, the other day we did, I want to say the, the maximum number they could hit was 10. And, and I had a couple that were making across in seven or eight uh, within the, you know, 35, maybe a 35 second interval, 40 second interval. So, you know, they're not, they can't go as slow as possible. <laughs> there, there is a little bit of a minor time constraint, we'll say. And then limiting the breath counts one or two. Um, but it's kind of finding that right mix between tempo work, like alternating essentially. We always do, we're either doing fast kickouts or we're doing distance per kick. So we're always tracking something. We're trying to use a metric. It's not just at this point when they're this age, it's kind of, it's not just stay underwater. It's how many kicks are you doing? How far is that taking you? Uh, and as far as the, the technical component goes, it kind of varies, right? You see some people that have more of that streamlined movement. You see some people that are a little bit tighter through that upper body line. So it's, it's kind of finding that on a case-by-case -case basis and working on whatever their strong suit is. So that's a little bit more you know, nuanced. One of the things that's great about coaching 11, 12, 13, 14s is that 
they're not quite yet cynical teenagers, right? They still come to practice like super happy. Coach Reed. I don't know, man. Some of those 13, 14s. <laughs> Coach Reed, what are we doing today? I can't wait to get in. Uh, talk about how important it is for you as a coach of, of those age groups to, to match their enthusiasm every day. Oh, man. It's funny because I actually do see – I remember thinking when I first started coaching the 13, 14s more – I was like, man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of moods here. There's a lot of different types of moods. Cause you do have some that are super excited to be there every day. And then you've got the other ones. They walk in like, oh, this is great weather. It's another sunny day in California. And, and they look at me, they're like, my favorite weather is rainy. And I'm just like, what do I do with this? <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, I think the harder part is getting them all on, this, on the same page. It's like, hey, when we're here, even if that's your favorite type of weather, we're going to play a role. And the role is we're all on the same page. We're all moving toward this thing, uh, which is this group success and understanding that what we do every day here is difficult, but it's not something that's going to bring us down every day. Um, so, you know, show up with a purpose. But the 11, 12 kids, they brought the energy. Uh, they still do. Uh, that's, that's just my experience. I remember uh, for them, it was, it's, uh, it was more every kid came in with a lot of energy for the most part. And... I just let them have their time to talk. I remember taking a lot of time between sets, like, you know, a couple minutes and just letting them socialize a little bit, and kind of develop those friend groups. It wasn't games or anything like that. It was just giving them a little bit of space to be social with each other. And then with the older kids, it's hit or miss, right? You kind of see those a little bit more mood in the, I think, I think I heard, had a conversation with, Odd to soar, but one time about this, and it was a, uh, it's something I've tried to do since then. And it was, uh, I asked him, I said, so what, like, how do you bring this much energy on deck? And I think it was during COVID that we had this as a phone call. I had a lot of time on my hands, so I started calling some people. And I was like, so how do you bring all this energy on deck? Is that manufactured? Are you playing a role? Is that real? And he's like, well, a lot of the time, you know, the kids roll in and they've got some energy, but if they don't, it's all about finding that one that does. Because out of 20 to 30 kids, you're going to have somebody there that's excited. And all you got to do is give them, you know, sprinkle a little magic dust over there, get them to kind of get some volume up. And then kids follow other kids that are leading, right? They generally do. So it's just kind of finding where that energy is and, and hyping it up and amplifying it, giving them that voice and, and then riding the wave, you know? Well, that's, that's great advice. And <clears throat> that's definitely one that we're going to clip up. I, I think um, you mirror something that Ian Murray said um, earlier this year. I had my associate head coach go down to Dynamo and just hang out with Ian for a couple of days. And, and I said, you know, give me some of the things that they're doing that, that make that team special. And he said, well, like Ian said to me, there are days where I have to be the head coach. There are days where I have to be a teammate. And there's days where I have to be both. And, uh, you know, learning, you know, the nuances of your group and like how you're going to best impact them. I was like, that's a really nice, flexible mindset to have. I mean, you, you know, as good as anybody in this is like, uh, you have to be flexible. Yeah. If, if you're stiff, it's, it's funny because I did hear a quote one time and it was the best quality that a coach can have is to be stubborn. And the worst quality that a coach can have is to be stubborn. Um, so it's, you know, being stubborn about the things that are your tenants, your, your baseline, whatever it is that are, you know, your, at your core. And then you've got to be flexible with pretty much everything else and understand that, you know, everybody that comes in every day is they're, they're human being. 
you know, and it's developing that rapport with them, relationships before, you know, teaching, right? That's, it's part of teaching, right? You're not gonna, they're not gonna listen to you, so. What are some of the things, Reed, that you've noticed about your athletes who have achieved at higher levels that maybe separate them from others? And a lot of the, this question, you know, we hear similar responses, but I'm always interested to find out some of the unique things that coaches um, can kind of pick out or characterize that make their special athletes at a next level than maybe some of the others. Sure. I, I mean, I know exactly what you mean, even within our own like within our own program, we see it. And it's, it's interesting primarily because and I'm sure you've had this experience where you've got this one or two kids and they're just, they're going above and beyond essentially. And then, it, and they're building this, this beautiful blueprint, right? And then you've got these other kids that can see them on a daily basis and they're not doing that. And then they come to you and say that they have a similar goal to what this other kid has. And you're just like, this doesn't make sense. But I mean, on the top end, I, I'll use, let's say, Luca as an example, right? Because e great, easy example to use. <laughs> um, Luca, let's say, it's not that he always did everything perfect. It's not that. He was obviously a great athlete, great swimmer, still is. And he's uh, he half the time didn't know what the intervals were and would push off the wall like this and look over at other people while he's dolphin kicking to like figure out what he's doing. Um, but as soon as he did know what, what exactly he was supposed to be doing, he was doing more. You know, it was never sit there and be in like, do the minimum, whatever's asked in the set. And then if he wasn't doing it, if you call him out on it, once again, he wasn't just gonna do exactly what you said, he was gonna do that and then add to it. So it was, it's just that self-driven motivation. It's a, it's a mindset and it's, you know, I feel like a lot of people talk about how hard work can take you anywhere you want to go, but there's there's the talent component there. I don't we let's not discount talent. It is really important. So effort, yes, talent, yes, and then frankly, willingness to to commit to something without dipping your toe in the water first, so to speak. Yeah, effort and attitude for sure. And you know, being on deck at a lot of the meets where Luca swam the thing that i was always impressed was that he just loved to race and i think the love of racing and trying to be as competitive as possible that's also a gift it can be learned but it's a gift to really love racing yeah i think that's something that i feel like it's harder to develop later you know, there's some stuff that we talk about that as you get older, it's harder to change, you know, especially technical things. But even from a racing perspective, I feel like if you don't nurture that early on, I think that you end up having those kids that really struggle with getting up and going fast at a meet later. Like it's hard. It, it, yes, it's teachable, but it needs, I feel like that's one of those things. And I don't know the science behind it, but I feel like that's one of those things just from anecdotal experience that they need to be doing early and it's creating, you know, simple opportunities to get up and race, right? Start with the smallest piece possible. We keep, we keep going back to that. What's the simplest thing that I can do to nurture this and what kid's going to flinch at doing a 25 fast? Not many, right? And there was a point I remember, I think I was assisting with the 13, 14 group a couple times a week and this is several years ago now. And 
we, I came in and we did sprint, we did IM and the IM was kind of 200, 200 pace based and it was more race specific. And at the end of the practice, we'd already done some sprinting and I was like, all right, we've got five minutes left. Does anybody else want to do anything fast? And there were these two girls, one, one of the two would always be like, can I do a 25 free? And I was like, heck yeah. And the other one would be like, all right, let's go, let's race. And they'd race the 25 and, you know, we'd be out of practice time. And then, uh, I'd be like, can we do another one? I was like, if nobody was following us, like, yeah, for sure. Let's do another 25 free. <laughs> it just always is creating that atmosphere where it's self-driven. And this is, you know, 13 year old girls. And, you know, one of them is now at, at Alabama, um, one of their 50 freestylers. So that's carried on for her, but it's been, you know, it's, you definitely have to have that passion for racing. I feel like if you don't, it's just torture because swim meets are way too stressful already. No doubt about it. And are there things that you put inside of your program that, that helped uh, develop that at a young age? Yeah, I think uh, so. I, our previous head age group coach actually just, she just stepped down from her year round position. And I, but I, she was in that role for since Billy came here, I think actually. So in 2009, so then you know, 14, 13, 14 years. And we have, we have some, great people in that role now but i think that she created this really good system for the younger kids to really enjoy going fast like she had some, some different types of unique test sets i don't even remember how one flowed but the kids always asked me to do it when they would move up into my group and it was called the gorilla set and it was like this it wasn't a short sprint set it was like a two thousand yard set but it was all best average. And it was, this is like 10 year old kids doing this. And they didn't do this all the time, right? This was maybe once a year. Uh, and they had like an overall time at the end. It was kind of like a, uh, what was it that Masters does? And they do the, I'm blanking on what it's called right now, but Masters has their version of it. Um, but these kids always, they did this and they got stoked on that. And then anytime they did these things called racer chasers, where one kid would push off and the other kid obviously would try to catch them in some capacity. So just, you know, gamifying it. She did a great job. She actually sent me a Google doc one time that had a list of at least 50 or 60 different variations of games, most of which had a speed component to it. So, and each game maybe took five, 10 minutes. So it's just, uh, it's, it's not making it a point system, but just gamifying things at a younger age. And it's something I'm not great at, but I think it, it worked well playing into, you know, their future love of sprinting. I'm going to need you to send me that. I'll, I'll see if I could find it. It's been a while since I've taken a look at awesome. it. And if I, if I can't find it, I'll have her send it to me again. Yeah, that'd be great. I think that's so fun for 10 and unders and 11, 12s and, you know, anything you can do to create that little competition like we're doing a thing tonight this is a, this is uh day four of the season for us tonight you know we just did a review of all four strokes and we do this thing called the quadathlon and we get out these wwf belts from the old days and uh you go 55 50 back 50 breast 50 free cumulative whoever's got the fastest they get to wear the belt one guy one girl and uh, it's just a fun way to get the season started. It's all sprint. You know, they can still sprint right now. They've had a two yeah. weeks off. So, uh, you know, anything I think that age group coaches can do to, to just make practice a little bit more palatable is good. For sure. Uh, and, and, I mean, another thing that you end up 
hearing the, the age, the championship belt is funny that you talked about. I've been talking about doing this for this meet that we do. We used to do this meet in the summer. I guess we're not doing it anymore. Um, but it's like a dual meet setup that leads into a championship style meet. Um, but anytime I'm, I think I'm going to get, I'm going to get a championship belt for any of our dual meets, even for the older kids, I think too, just to make this a little bit more interesting, kind of like, like a college football vibe, how they have like the, the chains or the belts, they have all those things, the turnover yeah, sunglasses. Yeah. So it's anytime they win a dual meet event, they get to take the belt right until the next event happens. Right. And then so on and so forth. And just kind of create that, that system of like, yes, you're competing for something, but it's like just to make it a little more fun and understand it's not always just super serious. Yeah, but yeah, that's a great idea. I might steal that from you. Yeah, for practices at least. Please do. Amazon, we got we got two belts on on Amazon. Uh, now I gotta get some more too because there's other stuff we want to do. Um, but you know, I I think it's really important too for coaches. I feel like after this World Championships, there was some panic. Like, oh my gosh, we didn't win the the gold medal count. You know, we won a lot of medals, and and I can see that. But I'll tell you what. Walking off deck that last day at juniors, we've got some awesome swimmers coming up. That was probably the deepest summer junior meet that I remember. And the talent, 18 and under right now, is incredible. This, this generation of talent, I think, is going to continue to develop. And we're going to see a lot of fast swimming. But talk about how you kind of helped establish some of that younger generational talent. Talk about how you... Teach your athletes to be patient with making cut times at higher level meets. So, you know, once a kid makes zones, they're kind of on that track. And then they make sectionals and then they get to futures and then winter juniors, summer juniors. It's a lot for a parent to kind of understand that progression. So how are you communicating that to your younger athletes? It's funny you mentioned that. I actually had a goal meeting. I, I just started all my goal meetings uh, yesterday. So we've, we've been in water for about a week. We had our group meeting on Saturday, started goal meetings yesterday and had this conversation with one of my kids who's already kind of been shooting for sectionals. And it's, I think one of the conversations we have is to one, talk about how difficult it is to make sections, right? Especially when you're younger, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, and if you're a younger boy, I think especially, right, you're 13, 14 boy, you don't, you're not uh, typically, you're kind of, you're struggling to get there. But it's convincing them that once you have break that one barrier, I think futures isn't super far down that line beyond that. And then you've got juniors, winter juniors, and then you've got summer juniors. And I just, I think once you get through that first wall, uh, especially if you can get through that wall early, I think it creates this it creates that ability to be patient with the other meets. Um, I think for those that are getting sectional cuts later, you know, if you're a junior or senior, I think that puts a lot more stress on that idea that you're trying to make the, the other level meets. Um, but as far as how we're communicating it is up play sectionals, essentially talk about how difficult it is, talk about how difficult swimming is, talk about, you know, all the things that they do really well and all the things that they can add to what they, to what they need to do to get there. And then once you're there, you've, you've broken a barrier and you can do it again, kind of creating momentum so that you can be patient. So it's have a sense of urgency now so that later you don't have to panic. At I least that's that. how 
I describe it for myself and try to lay it out there the same way for the kids. The parents, some of them, I think, understand it's actually something we probably need to work on in terms of communicating, uh, getting the parents on the same page because the kids don't always bring that information back to their parents extremely well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, understanding that progression is important at younger ages, but it's not something also where we want to put pressure on, on those athletes too, because you, know, you think about making summer juniors this day and age, it's incredibly fast. It's incredibly yeah, fast. What, what percentage of kids are making summer juniors? Yeah, right. I don't even know, but I, I know it's, you know, it's intense. That number is very low. Um, especially if you go by age group, I'm sure that if you go, I mean, let's, let's go down 13, 14, you're less than 0.1% or something, maybe at that probably, age group. Probably. And then you, you know, what's cool yeah. about that. And yeah. I tell my kids this all the time, especially if they happen to be somebody who's 13 and 14 and makes summer juniors, you're mm -hmm. the most dangerous athlete in the meet. Like a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, we had that experience last year with Michaela there because she was 12. It was her and I think uh, Audrey out at, at Wahoos. Mm -hmm. I think they were both 12. And, yep. and and it was it's interesting because they're they're over here freaking out because it's this meat that's bigger than any meat they've ever been to. And it's like, yep. you know, there are very low expectations for you here. You're here. <laughs> Just go out and race. And then, you know, she actually I think she made made finals in the two breasts which was super cool and she had a swim off in the 100 breast for 24th uh which was pretty fun uh, or it might have been first alternate i'm not sure what it was but either way wonder swim off you know so it was kind of a cool experience to watch that but you're right like when they're younger it's and this is what we were kind of talking about before is the if they do something like that earlier i feel like it just takes a lot of pressure off of making the next step yes um but yeah, I, I mean, it's a great point that you bring up about how do we not make it too stressful to get to that first step or break that first barrier, yep. right? How do you have a sense of urgency without creating stress? Oof, million dollar question. That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> Reed, what a terrific 40 minutes here. We really appreciate your time. Talk to me quickly about why an organization like ASCA is so important to our profession. Oh, man. I mean, first of all, I think the stuff that or the things that ASCA has been putting out in the last or the changes, even just the, the way that ASCA has developed it for me in the last five, six years, there's been some interesting uh, developments. One, I, I love the idea of, uh, you know, Russell Mark came on board. I saw that he's. Russell's my guy. I've always kind of picked his brain about technique. I'm kind of a, a technique geek, if you will. And uh, he's always been a good resource. Actually, I haven't reached out to him uh, in a couple of years. So I've got to get back on that train here soon. But as far as, you know, we're trying to develop a talent pool, right? We're trying to develop, uh, we want our sport to be bigger. If we want our sport to be bigger, we need exposure. Right. ASCA does that is doing a good job of it. And I mean, things like this, even right. Developing that. God, I can't think of any other organization that's really put a spotlight even on age group coaches. And I think it's something that gets downplayed and I'm, I'm not like stressed about it. It's just interesting that, you know, we put all this pressure on the senior coaching end and, um, and they do end up getting some recognition. That's great. But if we don't continue to give some, 
like if we don't we downplay the importance of age group coaches then it'll always just be a stepping stone and we don't want that to be the case and i think something like this is great for uh, developing that forward thought of this can be a career path for people right so that's been really cool to see and then I mean, just connecting coaches. Right? Ultimately, we need to communicate with each other really well, right? When it, when it's all said and done, I think every coach wants to see Team USA moving forward, right? And I think in order to do that, we have to have a really interconnected network of coaches from the bottom up. So, uh, and that's growing. So, with the number of athletes growing, the number of teams will expand. Uh, which makes it harder to stay connected. So having that kind of overarching body that's that's guiding that conversation and creating new resources is invaluable. No, absolutely. And and part of the, the, the goal of Fitter and Faster as a company is to make sure that we're supporting our age group coaches. And one thing that Greg Troy said to me one time, he said, you know, the most important coach in a lot of programs is that 10 and under coach, that entry level coach who's teaching number one, great technique, and and a love for the sport so you know your your thoughts resonate there reed thanks so much uh tell people how they can get in touch with you if they have questions or, or want to connect uh yeah you can reach out on uh instagram if you want to shoot me a message on there it's um i believe it's at reed miller 10 i have to double check that one uh, or you can shoot me an email at reed miller at dartswimming.com Awesome. Reed, thanks so much and uh, looking forward to connecting with you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. I'll uh, at some point have to pick your brain, ask you some more questions. Uh, anytime, man. All right. Thanks, man. Take care.